Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyra podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, and sometimes mangas. Also miss the middest and worst. You get the gist. We cover the whole spectrum. Yeah, it's a good intro. It's It, it, it exists on its own. And speaking of existing, I'm your host, the soon to be known as Comic Stan, and with me as always is my thunderous co-host, it's Jamie. Thunderous. We, we can go with thunderous. You- that has brought my energy level up. You can tell I was busy today and I did not quite scratch beyond the surface of like, what are descriptions to do with Thor? <laughs> and it was either this or thoughtful, but spelt T-H-O-R at the beginning. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah, but that would have been like thoughtful. Can we ADR that in? <laughs> just that, how I did it just then. <laughs> but then Thunderous is like, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like, do you have a, bo- a voice that booms? You have been described as the young Brian Blessed. I have. That is very true. I think we may have even talked about it on this very podcast. I mean, it's definitely, it's bound to have come up at some point. Um, Yeah. Also helps that you look like a young Brian Blessed as well. I don't know. If you had blacker, curlier hair, I reckon so. I look, so it's interesting. I do look like a young Brian Blessed, as in I look like a potentially younger version of the current Brian Blessed that we have. Mm. What I don't look like is Brian Blessed when he was actually young. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean now. He yeah. was a very striking man with a very strong jaw. He had very contrasting features, which mm. is something I've only learned about recently while trying to dress myself like an adult and find out what colours work and stuff. Ah, I see. But the fact that he had such dark hair and light skin, it yeah. made like you look at him and he's just so eye-catching because of the contrasting features. And then he had quite a round face, but also a very angular jaw and nose. Like he he was a very interesting looking bloke when he was younger. He was also smiling a lot of the time, which I've been told is apparently a good way to be affable towards people i don't know oh, have I, you heard right i've heard of it as a concept <laughs> i don't think i'll be taking on myself just yet it's like oh, uh, an God. alien learning to like hide amongst humans it is a bit isn't it but it's okay we're, we're educating you gradually I mean, I like to stick with my comic books. And speaking of comic books... We're talking about one today. We're talking about The Immortal Thor, which is an interesting one because it's one of the few that we've touched on briefly before and are now doing a more fuller reading of. Yeah, we talked about an issue of it, didn't we? Yeah, the issue came out uh, and we did The Immortal Hulk to time because they're both by Al Ewing. So thought, you know what? Enough issues have come out. Let's go. Let's circle back. Let's put a pin in this and we'll circle back later. And now we've circled back. Yeah. Just like uh, a wheel of sorts, which is maybe a little bit of a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's going to be one of those episodes, isn't it? I mean, I'm sensing it's going to be one where I'm more excited about the text than you are. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty low energy today as it is. And so uh, Thor and his escapades, they weren't enough to lift you out of No, unfortunately. No. Fair enough. Well, we'll get into exact reasons why that is. Maybe we'll, uh, like we do with text that we have issues with, maybe we'll have ways to improve it. Potentially, I think so, yeah. I think more thunder would have been uh, More been thunder would have been yeah. good. More yay verily, strike at the Shakespearean language. Yes, although there is plenty of that, isn't there? Should we start with the artings? Let's let's. I'll tell you what. Let's give. I'll give the preamble of who it's by. I did mention Al Ewing earlier. He is. Uh, he's. I wouldn't say he's a favorite of mine yet because I've only really enjoyed properly uh, the Immortal Hulk. But yeah. that one was a high one on my list. We um, both liked that, didn't we? Yes, I, I, I remember liking it. I liked the. Du- I mean, <laughs> one thing I noticed in this is, without getting spoilers straight away, there was a similar point in this as in the last, as in Immortal Hulk, where you complained about like you were doing so well, and then you just started bringing in all these other characters. Uh, and it was like the exact same point in this one. I was like, I think Jamie's not going to like that as character. Well. A yeah. little bit, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> well, it wasn't quite... I mean, he, we'll get into it. We'll get, we'll, that is an interesting point that I would like to touch back on well, later. I'm go- well, I was going to. Well, good thing. <laughs> good thing in your invisible notes that you've made a note of that. Absolutely. So this one, as I said, written by Al Ewing, uh, looks like art by Martin Urcocolo, and... Uh, there is another name that's not on here, but it is on the cover, Matthew Wilson, who I'm not sure if that was uh, colours or lettering, but he did something for it. Um, the one thing I want to credit as well is the cover art by Alex Ross. Now, that is a yeah, the covers Marvel were good. staple these days. Yeah, the covers were good. Alex Ross is this guy who apparently, I found this out recently, apparently cover art pays a lot more than <laughs> the normal art. Well, that makes sense. Well, I don't know, because I mean, on the one hand, the quality of the work 
is more important, you would think, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, it's got to be the eye-catching for people to actually pick up and buy it or, you know, to open it and read it online or whatever. I don't know if it's as important now as it used to be in the age of digital purchases. I think even then they'd still like, because their cover is the the main part you see first in the same way of like mm. a physical um a physical comic book shop. So what I'm getting at is, yeah, it's it's got to be more eye catching, but significantly less work than doing art for a whole entire series. Isn't because it? if you think about it, it's the same as music. Fifty years ago, less than fifty years ago, like thirty thirty five years ago, um, album covers were desperately important because they were twelve inches across and you were flicking through a stack of them. And you only really heard new music on the radio or if your friends already had the album. And so people literally bought albums based on the covers, right? Yeah. And it would have been the same in comic book stores, whereby you were flicking through a stack of new comics and picking them out largely based on the artwork, right? They'd have been bagged and, you know, comic book stores don't necessarily like you spending too long reading the product before you buy it. No, fair enough, exactly. Whereas now, when you're scrolling through, you know, the websites to download and buy these things as digital purchases, really you're just looking at thumbnails, aren't you? The same way you do on Spotify. Well, and so the cover art is more a placeholder and less of a feature. Yeah, but I mean, it's still got to have that attractive, like, look at this, like, look what we're doing here. Yeah, totally. And what's interesting is, Alex Ross specifically has, I've got an interesting kind of relationship and view of his, because on the one hand, he does so many comic book covers like he, is that his thing yeah he's he's known for it so other the the main um full comic title that he did all the art for uh, he's done a bunch but the one he's most well known for is a is a story a dc story called kingdom come okay and it's this art style so exactly as you see on the cover art, but mm. throughout the entire book so it's, okay. it looks very polished and very smooth um detailed but also a weird kind of roughness behind the scenes as well i'm I'm terrible at describing art as you can tell yes but but that style as you see in the cover as you saw with these covers yeah it was for an entire book um since then he's really only done cover arts but he does Mm. like uh, he seems to be almost exclusively hired to marvel recently okay so he does a lot of marvel ones so the 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 weird thing i am with him is now is because he does so many it kind of feels like, well, they don't feel as special now. Because he's done so many. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when Kingdom Come came out, it was like a kind of like, look at this art style. Like it was mm. very different to everything else that has happened before or since. I mean, isn't that just what the big two do though? They homogenize things. Well, in weird way. So this is a different way because you're right in homogenizing for the main comic books. Mm. But then he's he's obviously taken a, I'm just going to do cover art for now because it maybe it pays more and it's less work. Like very smart of him if, if those are true. Yeah. But at the same time, then it's like every a lot of covers look very similar because they're all his work. But the opposing opinion I have is every cover I see of his, I think that looks great. I mean, I can't really complain. Yeah. In general, in this kind of publishing, certainly in magazine publishing, doing the cover is the most sought after job. Um, And so I, I know some graphic designers and some people who do cover art for published magazines. Yeah. And when they talk about it, they don't talk about how many issues of a certain magazine they have done. They talk about how many covers they've done. Yeah. And the kind of general theme is that they will move on from doing the artwork inside a magazine and laying a magazine out and just become the cover artist. And so it kind of makes sense that there would be artists in the comic book world who'd also be running that same grift. I mean, so to speak, there's the one main one is Alex Ross. Yeah. Like he is the most common cover artist you see these days, especially for Marvel. And his art style is so specific, uh, especially amongst comic book fans. As soon mm. as you see an Alex Ross, you know immediately that it's him. You know who it is, yeah. Exactly. So, again, I on the one hand, it's great art. I think on the other hand, I see it a lot. So it's yeah. I thought it was worth noting at least. And he did all the uh, incredible, uh, the Immortal Hulk ones as well. What worked especially for Immortal Hulk was how dark the theme of those comics were. Mm. So for his style, which I'm going to attempt to describe for anyone who hasn't seen it, if you haven't seen it, if you're listening, look up Alex Ross, you'll see it immediately. You'll mm. see what I mean. It's kind of like a like a proper painted piece of work, but I think because of the technological advances, he does it oh, probably almost only digitally. But he does yeah. it with like the detail of modern technology. So it still has the texture and vibrance of like paint almost. So, you know, like proper old school, you know, historical paintings. Yeah. But with the color and 
detailing of modern digitalness. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the does what I said make cover, sense. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, just looking at the first cover, the sense of light that he's gotten on the front of Thor's body would have been a real technical challenge in paint. I mean, it's kind of made to look like watercolor. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but again, he's using a really, really well-worn color idea here, which is blue and orange. Yeah. Um, so look at a really great example of blue and orange being used to massive effect in cinema is the Transformer films. The modern ones or the old cartoons? The modern ones, the right. ones with um, Shia LaBeouf in them. Yeah. They're all blue and orange. If you look at them, everything is blue-toned or orange-toned. And so you can see here the way the armor's playing off against the skin. That's like a real classic contrasting colors, blue and orange pop together. I mean, there, there, there is this whole genre of art now, which is digital painting. And these are very good digital paintings. Yeah, and I, I would say, I think, based on the time of when his stuff became popular, he was maybe speculation, say, but maybe a bit of a comic pi pioneer within comics specifically of this type of art style. Mm. I but mean, they are quite painterly, aren't they? Yeah, but what's interesting is no one else is doing them, and I think that might be because one person has kind of capitalised and become known for it. So if anyone else does it, it's just like, oh, you're doing Alex Ross. Especially in comics. And I will admit, he has a very good sense of anatomy. Um, so I'm just looking now at the cover for issue three. Mm. And Thor is very well posed here. Yeah, and again, like a like a historical painting. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, like a sort of Renaissance painting almost. Yes, that was the word I was missing. <laughs> um, and, you know, Thor's very well posed here. And like that lat spread, I mean, mm. it's a very impressive lat spread. For somebody who doesn't know what a lat spread is, Google it. Um, <laughs> because I'm not exp I'm not going into that much detail here. But, you know, the anatomy is quite strong there. And yeah, they're very painterly, aren't they? And they're, they're, they're very vibrant. Yes. And before we proper starting with the arting, I'll give uh, a little bit of a blurb because I think it would be unfair of you to ask you to describe the story for this one. Oh, man, I could barely follow the fucking story. Exactly. So... I'm, from my perspective, as someone who's read a bit of authority, it, the Thor story, as we're covering the first six issues of this mm. more Thor series that started late last year and has run over into this year, so it counts for the end awards. Um, <laughs> it's it, the stories are quite by the numbers Thor story. Yeah. He is he is the the ward of the nine realms in some way, mainly Midgard and Asgard, but you know the rest as well. He is uh, the all father now so he has taken the role of odin yeah. so he is occupying that role now which he has for a while now and it is a kind of by the number story of there's a problem and he's got sorted because he's the odin son but he's your father now and it's kind of related to his past so yeah without going into the details which we will get to in the story but that is the general gist of it i think to give any more of the story would just be giving away basically the plot of the first well, there's Five not issues. a whole lot of plot, is there really? No. I do like some of the subplot stuff, which I think this series will get into. And I am going to be following the series after we after mm. we're done here. So maybe I can I can come back and be like, hey, it's it's gotten better or it or it's gotten worse. Yeah, we'll see. But story wise, there is a big threat that Thor has to deal with. Yeah, a big existential threat. Yeah. And I'm, I'll, I'll say up top as well, uh, as a general gist of it, I enjoy the comic. But I am definitely comparing it to the Immortal Hulk. And the problem is the Immortal Hulk, uh, by Al Ewing also, was such a reinvention of the character at the time. Like, the Immortal Hulk basically took the character from, like, here's another Marvel run for Hulk, and oh, he's a bit sad because he's a monster and everyone hates him, but oh, he's getting control of it, and oh no, someone's after him for the Hulk dna or something yeah. al ewing took that and went into what if the hulk was an undead devil type like evil genius character yeah he really he really played with some of the existing character tropes there and he really got under the hood of it didn't he exactly Which i don't think he's really done here <laughs> no and that is my thing is i am i am comparing it to that and this i don't feel like he's really doing anything that hasn't been done before with the thor character and that's and for me as a previous reader that is the case and i think even for you this is the thor comic book character even if you've not read any thor am yeah, i right well yeah absolutely like this is a kind of exactly what i expected from a thor comic as a side note very quickly mm -hmm. al ewing yes we talked about him a bit last time yeah but i can't really remember what you what the answers to my questions were okay is he british or american he's british so he's a british guy lives in america right don't know where he lives okay 
Um, but he's British. Yes. That's interesting. He, we'll, we'll... he has a bit after the, at the end of the first issue where he talks about reading comics as a, a young kid in England. Okay, And cool. he claims, he says, oh, like every kid of my generation, we all read comics. And I read that. I was like, were comics that popular? But then I tried, kind of worked out his age. I was like, maybe he was a kid in the 80s. Yeah. So I guess in that time, comics were really popular then. I mean, around that time, you're leading up to like death of superman and you know that like big kind of stuff and watchmen was like mid mid 80s mm. so yeah you definitely had some big stuff going on comics wise so it makes sense there was a far more popular industry than maybe it is now yeah and you know tv wasn't as good in the uk back then oh absolutely um you know i think i think it's worth noting for our american listeners that you had satellite tv a lot earlier than we did mm. and so unless your parents well, unless you as a person in the 98 in certainly in the 90s in the UK, unless you were willing to invest in TV, you got four terrestrial channels in the UK and a scrambled five and a scrambled five <laughs> that didn't really work. I think channel five came out in the early 90s, didn't it? I think so. Yeah. If you go back to the 80s, you had three channels like channel four didn't even exist anymore. So there'd be two BBC channels and one local channel hmm. and satellite TV was not really attainable for like you know, people on a very average income until the late nineties, early noughties in the UK. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, there would have been more of a reliance on print entertainment in the UK in the eighties than there would have been in America because satellite TV was huge over there at that point, wasn't it? Yeah. Or cable. Everyone had cable, right? Um, and so it, it really does stand to reason that a young person in the 1980s would be consuming quite a lot of comics. Yeah. And as true today as it was back then, the markup on comics has always been like a great profit driver yes like for the cost that it takes to make it you only have to sell like x amount to cover the initial cost and then you're looking at profit and yeah. also i imagine they were one of the easier things to like transport across the ocean to get across to other countries and, and like, also britain was shit poor in the 80s i mean mm. the 80s in america was boomed up boom time wall street you know there was a lot of money floating about in america in the 80s whereas in britain we had thatcher yeah it was thatcherism it was poverty it was punks it was mods mm. it was the specials like it was a very different time wasn't it and for anyone who doesn't know uh for americans especially thatcher is basically our reagan like <laughs> every, i mean they got on <laughs> every modern negative aspect every negative aspect of modern life can be traced back to one politician however i, th I think reagan's dead now isn't he yes when reagan died a song that when, when thatcher died a song by the title of bang bang the witch is dead charted number one like oh yeah yeah no we that that thatcher fucked britain <laughs> Um, so yeah, so it kind of makes sense. I, I, this is a massive tangent. It's such a worthless tangent. Where, where else would a tangent on a podcast happen? Yeah, than, it's just like this one. Jamie rambling about the 1980s. <laughs> and capitalism <laughs> and thatcher and thatcherism i don't think this is the first time thatcher's come up though and it won't be the last i would be willing to place money on yeah i mean as soon as we start talking about a comic book that's set in the uk in the 1980s i will probably start talking about thatcher at length yeah i mean if anyone if we could think of a comic book artist who maybe also has a gripe against conservative politicians maybe we just do an alan moore comic <laughs> that'll, that'll cover it i mean I, I like i wouldn't be surprised to find out alan moore's a secret tory that'd be weird you can't you can't believe you're a wizard and a tory at the same time boris johnson he's not a wizard he's a bloody gremlin if anything <laughs> <laughs> i think he would be in D, &D terms he'd be a hobgoblin yes which exactly. is like the greater goblin yeah. Like the big goblin who's like the boss of the dungeon. And stutters a lot as well. But then, <laughs> yes. but then yes. you realise the stutter is actually fake and they're actually like very Machiavellian evil. Like, Oh, he's so erudite. Yes. He's so erudite. Secretly, he's so articulate. So back to the comic because it feels like we're, there's a point where you can just feel it's not a science, it's an art where you feel you're far enough away in the tangent from the original subject. You go... This feels like we should turn back We're now. never going to get back to it naturally. Yes. If you let Jamie moan about Boris Johnson for any longer, it will just be an episode about Boris Johnson. Exactly. So thus the phrase, back to the comic. And <laughs> also thus the phrase, starting with the arting. Starting with the arting. The art's fine. It's very much Marvel house style, isn't it? So I kind of have a range... Uh, it's kind of a two-point range of opinion, which is in some parts where it's just characters talking to each other, I would describe the art as mid, in the sense that it was fine. It serviced mm. the story. I could tell who was who, and it, it looked interesting enough that I was, I was following the story. It ranged from mid to 
great in parts. And specifically for me, the parts with a character who would be come to known as... God knows if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Tyrannos? Tyrannos? Yeah, yeah we'll go Tyrannos. 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 Um, but the bits with him... So what I've discovered kind of looking between these these points, what I literally would describe as going mid to great and not much in between, mm. is in the mid parts is just, as I said, standard drawing, but you could tell it's like a pencil drawn or at least a pencil effect with some good lighting and shading, which would make yeah. some parts look a little nicer. But then you get these big panels and almost splash pages with tyrannos in the night sky with the lightning jetting down yeah. and his like shadowy kind of figure giant shadow he's like a galactus basically he, cl- he consistently looks fantastic exactly he? so i so when judging the art i was looking at these two points going like i have to call it great and mid like mm. it is both those things in very separate points yeah and and admittedly there is a strong sense of anatomy here I think for um, Thor and his bulging arms, you kind of had to, didn't you? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose on some level, Thor is easy to draw because he is just two spheres in a triangle. Um, I mean, if you do it simply enough, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, totally. I mean, looking at him here, for instance, he is just two spheres in a triangle. Yes, and that that's a flashback panel. So that is that is that right? Is that back when... Uh, with like old loki no no that is that is current thought okay so um, no he looks great so like, the only reason i say that is it does look like and i think we did point this out when we did the first issue it looks like al ewing has intentionally kind of gone back to a more traditional thor look as a side note i thought the flashback in issue five was some of the best artwork in the entire comic book. Yes, and I th- um, think that was for a specific contextual reason. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Which we'll, we will get into in a bit. Um, I'm now combing back through issue five, and I actually want to say that the flashback is in issue six. Um, but whenever that flashback happened, I thought it was really well integrated. And we talked about a comic recently that did this same thing, didn't we? Uh, Wolverine and Predator. Wolverine it had the and different Predator. time periods and different art styles. Yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't as much of a fan of it there as i am here um but i think you know there's some of these panels in particular where you've got thor and loki together and it just looks fantastic yeah the the facials all look really great i think in every in every panel yeah and i don't i don't really associate thor with being a particularly expressive character not in the face you know you kind of you associate him with this sort of stoicism and this strength and you kind of think well he's going to go between a quite determined look and a snarl really yeah. um but the faces are so well drawn here that they're they're pulling some they're pulling they're pulling their weight i did find one of the most common facial expressions mainly on thor was a kind of somber look mm. and i think that is speculation not knowing not being an artist that seems to me like one of the most difficult expressions to draw because yes. like what it's not a it's not a smiley face it's not a frowny face like it's just something in between so the artist definitely nailed like complex emotions, I mm. think, in this. And it, I feel kind of bad calling the small quieter parts mid, because again, like for me, it was just getting the story flowing and that's that's serviceable enough. But when I did remember to really look at the facial expressions, I did kind of go, yeah, this is actually good. Like, I'm going to go good to great in the kind of art. Yeah, generally. no, I mean, again, I've just scrolled through it in a really really condensed way while we're talking about it and i've not noticed anything janky firstly there's no jank here um everything's really clean you know lines are all pulled clean faces look good anatomy looks good um yeah i mean the artwork's pulling its weight Mm. i don't necessarily like the way that some of the artworks laid out it made it really difficult for me to read there were parts i think where there was like a there was like a two-page spread and there was a big one on the left but then you had a little one under it the one and that then all the ones on the right bothered me most is they had a straight thirds thing going on but then on the left hand side of the very middle panel they would break that down into four panels and then on the right hand side of the middle third it would just be that that sixth of the page and i found that that didn't scan particularly well right i didn't like that layout again that's potentially because i was reading a digital version of this and so I was reading it on a relatively small screen. I imagine if I actually had a physical copy in front of me, that would have played out much nicer. Well, you're getting into a larger discussion there about, you know, digital scanning, but like what should it be designed with in Yeah, mind? what like should what... it be optimized for? Yes. And, and, and I think this is inherently a print medium and it should always be optimized for people enjoying it in print. Mm. 
Because those, are the, I mean, ultimately, they're your most invested customers. Yeah, but I think I, I, I've got a whole spiel about how I think that might be changing in the future. But yeah, we'll we'll get into yeah, that in another day. Absolutely. But no, but no, the I mean, whilst I didn't like some of the layouts, and I, and I wasn't a big fan of all the layouts, I don't, mm. I, th- I think, I think this could have been laid out more um, economically. The artwork itself was pretty good throughout. Yeah. And I agree with you. Some of those panels of Theranos looked fucking phenomenal. There's one mm. in particular of him in profile where you're just seeing his face in profile. And I th- like the artwork was flawless. It was fantastic. Yeah. He always looked very imposing, threatening. I feel like maybe in the story, the context story, they could have worked to make him a bit more imposing mm. like as or as a threat. Because like the, the most we get story-wise is it's kind of like, Thor used all of his all father power and it didn't work. And yeah, I mean that that whole thing wasn't particularly well explained. Yeah, I just didn't really feel like I didn't there I didn't feel like he's exhausted all options and now he's done for. Like I never got that sense of dread. There was a limited sense of threat, I think. I think I th- and and to get into the story, I think yeah. that's my overriding issue with the story is that there was a limited sense of threat throughout. Yeah, and there's definitely the if you contextually break it down, there is threats and there is like time constraints and and things like that. Specifically, there is a plot point with what's called the All Sleep, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, and there's this idea that so Thor, being Odinson, he has the All Father power, and that was given to him by Odin. He uses it all trying to defeat this Tyrannus when he first sees him, and it just doesn't do anything. So. He then has, he manages to send Tyrannus away using yeah. a portal from Mjolnir, which does, I've not known to be a major thing, but maybe it was. But at I least, mean, it is here, isn't it? Yeah, it did at least get across, it got across in a very upfront, uh, written way of, I've banished him to the edge of the universe. Mm. He is going to be back very quickly. I need to prepare for him coming back, yeah, kind of totally. thing. But I didn't, it didn't make me feel like that was a big worry well it made him feel like less of a threat the fact that thor could just you know we've we've established here that thor has these new powers these new powers haven't worked these new using these new powers drains him but even then he can just send this guy away and buy himself time and you're like well there's no threat anymore because there's never that you've taken away any sense of immediacy because when he comes back you're just going to send him away again aren't you yeah that was unfortunately i think the the unintended results of how they plotted it out and then the mid phase here was very much a loki story where loki gives him a riddle i don't fully understand what the resolution to the riddle actually was yeah so loki banishes him to an alien planet and says you need to use what's in your helmet which implied to me that he was saying to thor you need to actually use your brain here bud yeah which again is very loki and thor you know that's that's very that's very much the dynamic that they they have in all of the Marvel stuff that features both of them, right? And then he just turned his helmet into a fucking axe. And that was that seemed to be what Loki was asking him to do. I so I got so I made a note that I need Loki to have a great reason to put Thor through all this. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just kind of meandering story for for it has to be a good reason for them to do all this stuff. I did appreciate in the end. So the the answer kind of was Thor kind of gathering the Loki was talking about so making the the offer of i'll let you out but you make me the the you give yeah. me the king of asgard role kind of thing like i've i've exhausted your desperation you're still stuck here and you need to get out because you've got there's this threat to midgard and you love midgard and then thor kind of working out ah this isn't real because loki doesn't care about the throne because they've just established earlier they loki had just given up the jotunheim throne yeah so I appreciated that in the sense of like he worked out and Loki. The the lesson was like, see, it's not about power. It wasn't about the uh, the weapon that you forged. Yeah. You couldn't fight your way out of this. You worked out that it wasn't real and that kind of thing. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been better. Felt a bit flaccid. Yeah, I I it definitely could have been better. I did at least appreciate there as well. The there was this what should have been done should have been executed better was the he Thor needed to enter this all sleep to repower for the return of Tyrannos. Um, and there was a little bit in the dialogue. There was a little bit of like, I need, I'm going to fall asleep soon, and I need you to kind of help. It, I think it could have been paced in a way that emphasised that that um, 
desperation. And also so much of what was happening in the story came by way of exposition, by way yes. of those little yellow panels. So this is an exposition heavy comic. Yes. There's a lot of there's there's a strong narrator here, lots of exposition, and a lot of those revelations happen exponentially as exposition yes. don't they one of my issues was they do two versions of that <laughs> they do the, Did you clock that as the well? little box yeah. narration and they do the the inner thoughts of thor i wish yeah. they'd just done the inner thoughts of thor and, and 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 i think i think the story wouldn't have made i almost get a sense here that they tried that and the story didn't make a whole lot of sense and so they added the exposition in afterwards but you could tell they only add in certain parts yeah yeah, yeah. Where the story parts, didn't make sense there's other parts that thought was heavy in a monologue yeah and i don't know whether i i've said before i like comics that don't do that mm. i i get a better sense of the story when it's not being kind of over explained yeah this was literally thought bubbles this isn't just yeah. a this in part it wasn't just a box in the corner it was Thor's thought bubbles and his what he's actually thinking, and I think Thor is a really intro. He's a he's a suboptimal character to give us that level of insight into because Thor's whole characterization is that he's a bit thick. Thor isn't a particularly intelligent character, certainly not in the Marvel universe where we've got people like Peter Parker and Tony Stark who are deeply intelligent people. So this Thor, I would say at this point in his life, is definitely much wiser. He's than more the thoughtful. Stereotypical, yeah. Hey, Part of he's more thoughtful. I'll give you a pun counter thing. Um, he's definitely more, he's definitely wise. He's definitely more thoughtful. And that is through experience. And part of like his core story, like his origin almost is becoming worthy, um, which we'll play into the story a bit later as well. But yeah, he's definitely grown, even though he's a being that's like centuries, thousands of years old, at least he's grown in the past couple hundred. Like Yeah. And, and having, having access to Odin's wisdom, because there's a heavy implication that he's gained a lot of Odin's thought processes here. Um, you know, he has a lot of Odin's wisdom, and obviously Odin drank... I mean, I don't know how much of the actual Norse canon comes into the Marvel canon. So but... this one, I think all that stuff is like Odin's past. Yeah. As much as I've read Thor comics, he's just more been of kind of an overbearing, distant, stern, like stern but fair maybe not that fair father type like a capricious god yes yeah he i mean and and, Th and odin's always a bit of a capricious fellow um and so yeah i think there's an implication here that he that thor probably is a little smarter here because you know he's he's operating with some of that all father good butter yeah um but even then i don't really want to see the inner, pro inner processes of thor's mind i want to mm. see him hit stuff with his hammer true and and i feel i and I, and I feel like i feel as though this is like a core issue with the text for me is that i want to see thor in fun adventure stories and thor's pretty static throughout this like he is in a place and then he gets zapped to another place and then stuff happens and people show up a lot of people show up ryan yep. a lot of people and but he's he, just but he does invite them <laughs> that's the difference um, it's it's not a, i'm here now and i will help you have the mess he's like you got my invite then <laughs> so can we go on can we i mean yeah, so I think we've kind of talked about the core outline of the story here leading up to this final set piece. Yeah, I think from this point onwards, I would say, I mean, we're halfway through the episode almost, so we're just over. I would say my recommendation for this, before we get to that, is if you really like Thor stuff, this is mm. worth a try. I think in, re yeah. in response to what you've said, I think a lot of previous Thor texts have been Thor goes on an adventure and smashes something. Mm. So I think this is like the natural progression of a character who has consistently existed in comic runs since at least like the 60s. Yeah, so, totally. Um, and, and, and you know, it's, it, it, it's hard because for me personally, because I'm really well versed in the prose edda and like the original Norse stories, there is a whole episode on this earlier in the podcast. Yeah. Any of the richness they've tried to introduce just comes off as seeming a bit silly to me. But also, there's not enough richness there. Do you know what I mean? Is like, it like a like... McDonald's version of Norse mythology? Yeah, pretty much. Like hmm. it kind of is because um... fast Norse, fast mythology. Yeah, it's like fast food. Yeah. It's like it's it's all it's all flavor, no substance. Yes. Um. And yeah. And I and I kind of would want a bit more 
I don't know. It just doesn't really land for me. Yeah, I was hoping for a lot darker Thor, which oh, I yeah. think I did say in the um, when we did the first issue only because we'd just done a Mortal Hulk as well. So I was like, I, I was hoping for a bit of a darker, like dark gods and you know abyss and evil and dealing with that kind of stuff. Particularly as you have in with you know within within the feet within the source material that they're working from here. You have Sif, who is, you know... The... She's taken over the Heimdall role. Yeah, yeah. Well, somebody's taken over the Heimdall role. I don't think it's Sif. Yeah, it's Sif in this. Oh, is it Sif? Yeah. It's not addressed because it's just, it's been that way for a bit now. So Sif would, ha- Sif would have historically have been, so she's Loki's daughter and she's half abomination, half human. So she's half skeleton, half human, like split left and right. Yeah, she's none of that in this. And she is in charge of Niflheim, the underworld. Right. Um... Oh no, sorry. Sif is you, Are you confusing Hella? Yeah, I'm thinking of Hell. Sif yeah. is Thor's wife. Right. Wait a minute. Why is <laughs> Sif Heimdall now? Why is Thor's wife Heimdall? So she's not Thor's wife in this. Right. I think there may be like a they had a thing a long time ago. Like they right. might have been together or something. Um Heimdall, for some reason, I think he got killed in a big story or something. Right. So one of so the resolutions was like, we need someone else to look after. Because you also noticed at the beginning the Rainbow Bridge was yeah. Chad and Loki was like, I'll bloody put it back together. And Thor's like, how? And he's like, don't worry about it. I've got a staff, but it's not actually the staff. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's a whole thing kind of resolving what previously happened. Right, okay. But part of that as a package, Sif is Heimdall's role. But so we have so we have Hel, who is, you know, the goddess of the underworld, and we have Jormungund and Fenrir. We have all of these great, really dark characters in the mythology they could be playing with. I also really like the idea that potentially um odin is odin's kind of jam in the uh prosedda um one of the things that's explained to him in one of the like more poetical poetic poetic passages you're asking the wrong person is that he will go and test mortals and he'll go and challenge mortals and he'll test them and he'll spend a lot of time in midgard hidden as an old man kind of challenging and testing mortals and i would have loved to have seen thor take on some of that role in a comic book so i think in this that's like how they would mess around back in the Mm. day kind of thing there's a great version of that in the thor mcu film where they're talking about going to midgard although they're talking about they go i think they're going to like kill frost giants in jotunheim yeah and at one point one of them's like i'll tell you what let's just pop down to midgard do a bit of banging, a bit of thunder in the sky, whatever, scare the locals, have a beer with them, whatever. Like, let's just do that. They're talking about like they did that last week. But yeah. in the in the film, it said that was like hundreds of years ago. Yeah. But it, to them, it was just like, let's go have, have a bit of fun. We'll have a drink, accidentally tell them all about the nine realms and everything. Yeah. And then come back and they're like, oh, what are those Vikings up to? Oh, shit, it's all modern now. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that's kind of how they view it. It's same in the comics. Like, that stuff they did before, like, yeah. back in the day. And that's it's meant to try and tie in, like, where those myths and stories came from. It's like, we kind of did stuff like that back in the day. Because, you know, there's a pretty pervasive myth that one of Thor's sons survives Ragnarok and ends up being the first king of sweden really well wow. yeah yeah yeah. so there's a there's a mythological you know how there's like certain dynasties that are partly mythological in history yeah. royal, king royal arthur, family well yeah i mean there's certain royal courts that were like we're not really sure this existed king arthur being a great example um the first chinese dynasty um we think that that is mythological we think that that's actually fictional um and then yeah the first king of sweden <laughs> is said to have been thor's son well, um, if he can't make thunder or lightning, then, you know, it's probably bollocks to me is all I'm saying. I have a pretty high bar of like, we'll do some magic then. If he could do like some David Blaine type, like I made a little electricity in my hands. I assume that's a trick of some kind. Hmm. If he could just light a bit of, was it fire paper or something? I'd yeah. be like, you're probably right then, actually. I, I mean, I, re- I really like the idea because it kind of posits the idea that we are living in a post Ragnarok society where the magic has all just gone. And the magic mm. used to be there. And I kind of love that idea. I mean, it's the same thing that Tolkien was trying to achieve, isn't it? I was going to say, is it like when Snoop Dogg thought that Game of Thrones was like actual <laughs> history? <laughs> That's why there's no dragons anymore, Snoop. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I, uh, I've heard this and it was like from a podcast that he did, wasn't it? But you've got to remember that man smoked a lot of ganja. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but then if you're doing it all the time, you'd think you just get like acclimatized to like knowledge you know yeah. real world knowledge or something i don't know yeah the verisimilitude none of, of us the... can really comment on what it's like to experience life as snoop dog no i imagine it's a wild ride yeah um 
but yeah, I just I don't know. I had I had so many issues with the story. Yeah, that's fair enough. So the bit we're about to get to, like spoilers from here on in, is the fact that he kind of well he assembles as stated on the front of the following issue the Thor core. Yeah. So great name. So there's one other thing that's kind of happening around this time, which is I'm going to call him Corporate Ganon. Okay. You know Ganon from Zelda. Vaguely. Like, well, he's more like yeah, like Big Pig Man in an office holding Thor comics. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. So that's not really explained yet. I'm, no. I'm imagining that's going to become a pretty core cool part of the story. So I would assume so. And what's interesting is that's actually a carryover from the Immortal Hulk. So within that kind of um, oh, series. So yeah, okay. the character, he is a cutthroat psychopath CEO of yeah. the Roxxon uh, Corporation. Yeah. Roxxon is basically Exxon Mobil. They, they are... <laughs> oil drillers essentially but yeah. they also have all these uh, like wings and arms and things and pies into like other planets and realms and stuff right, like okay. they actually have at one point they engineered behind the scenes the war of the realms which right. was basically like world war one but with realms so if i was a more engaged marvel reader i would know what was going on here. yeah right uh, yeah okay. if you read the right stuff yeah but they've like they've like engineered this war so they could get into <laughs> other realms and mine it for its like natural resources yeah. and stuff like that so really like i really enjoy the character because of the the real world implications yeah he himself is a also because he at one point he transformed and now he seems to be like it all the time a minotaur type yeah. character the idea be, being that like the head of a corporation is like the minotaur at the center of the labyrinth yeah. kind of thing i mean that makes sense exactly. it's a very good metaphor isn't it yes so he's basically evil he was doing a lot of stuff to get at the hulk during the immortal hulk run mm. um and now i think al ewing is just kind of carrying him over in this because right. and he had a lot of stuff to do with the the war of the realms even pre-al ewing so. so this yeah so that stuff's happening mm. and then we get the mass deus ex character event yeah so that that my one pushback on that is it does seem thor would like went out and sought these people he had mm. a plan for beating he had he used his head like loki <sighs> taught him yeah but and he had a plan and he assembled people for a specific reason do you remember what the reason was no he was he assembled people who could wield mjolnir right yeah and okay. specifically not just wield mjolnir but also to actually temporarily get the powers of thor yeah so his idea being that to fight the, well again that wasn't even his main plan that was like a a, a cover plan mm. to cover the real plan Which so was again to give him the hammer yes but again using his smarts yeah but it all just felt very contrived and it's nice to see jane foster mm. and lizard thor was fun i don't know who that, lizard thor is his name is beta ray bill yeah so what's going on with beta ray bill right he's, like he's like he's like a, a part of a race of aliens who basically look like weird horsemen kind of thing oh, i thought he was a lizard no he's yeah he's more of like a horse type face well, he's an alien essentially alien is the best way to describe right. it, but he, he has a kind of horse-shaped face yeah um and he through some story a while like like decades ago probably now uh became thor for a bit and then he actually wielded like a second mjolnir after the original one went back to thor he got uh, his own Mjolnir called Stormbreaker. Which and... is the basis for the axe in the movies, isn't it? Yes, exactly, yeah. So he became a Thor alongside Thor, and they've always kind of been like friends who he's... So Thor is obviously the original Thor. Bayray Bill is a great example of how any being, if they're worthy, can inhabit the powers of Thor. Yeah. So he's not... He, is, he hasn't become Thor the character, but he has become Thor in powers and get up and also the fact that when they get the hammer they look a bit thory their costume changes yeah. i think that's fun yes and they should have done that when cap caught the hammer and they should have made like a hybrid captain america thor costume i think there would have been too many questions because that that does inherently bring up a lot of questions of like why does anyone become thor like why does ha wielding a thing give you the, the costume because i think they break it down in a much more simpler easier to digest way in the mcu yeah. which is if you wield this, you get the powers of Thor. Yeah. So, and Cap does, like he's wielding and he's got a bit of lightning and stuff as well. But I think it's not meant to be like anyone becomes Thor. It's like, Thor, you need to be worthy to pick this up again and use it. As a side note, remember there's that scene in one of the Avengers 
MCU films where yep. they're all stood around a table and they're drinking together after like a fight and they all have a pop at picking up the hammer. Yep. And Cap gets it to move a little bit. Yeah. And obviously at the time, no one really clocked it, but the implication is that he realized he could pick it up, but didn't want everyone to know. So it's, it's up in the air because it, I think it's, it purposely left ambiguous. I, I love the scene, especially because it, he's, he's going for it and you can see him prepping and Thor is just like, ha, ha, ha. and then it moves like a millimeter and Thor's face immediately yeah. goes, oh God, I've made a huge mistake. And then when he doesn't move it, Thor goes, oh, and he's like, I wasn't even worried. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fine. And then he picks it up and flips it, doesn't he? And like, there's some fun moments in that scene where um, Tony Stark has like the arm on. Yeah. And like him and the other guy who have the other suit are both trying to pick it up and they can't and it's all really fun. And they've got the thrusters going the yeah. other way. <laughs> so- like, yeah, I just thought that was really amusing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, they put like they basically play fucking what do you call it? You know, when you do a running race, a baton, they yeah, basically do bat and pass. Yeah, it's like yeah. a bat and pass with the hammer. And to be fair, I found that as an existing reader fan, I found that as a fun. Uh, it was a fun recontextualization, which is a word I had primed and ready to go. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, you've not cut out me. No. Us workshopping that word. Together. I'd never I'd never cut out anything. Um not. It, it was a fun re-examining of that of the yeah. whole people other be other people becoming Thor. Um, but yeah, what I liked about that is again he fa- he had to get the people who he knew could wield it. So people who had wielded it in the past, I also, think Loki was the most interesting one. Yeah, I didn't know Loki could wield it. Well, Maybe. you would expect he wouldn't be able to, wouldn't you? And then the person from Mars, yeah, Storm. Is that is that X Men Storm? Yeah, that's so, pretty cool. So what I found especially interesting here, and I didn't know this was coming. This is like a proper sidestep into Hickman X-Men. So right. in this in this same universe, the X-Men have colonized Mars. They've oh, also well, that make that all makes sense yeah, now. And they've renamed it Araco. Yeah. And the idea there's a whole kind of political tension in the X-Men of like the rest of Earth being like, why do you get to colonize the planet? And X-Men are literally like, because we did. Like Yeah, because we can get there. In exactly the same way that the Americans planted the flag on the moon. Yes. It's like we got there, we made it livable. Yeah. It's ours now. Yeah, and, totally. And all the like um or like the earth governments being like, oh, I don't like that. Like and they're just like, well, if you want to get there and colonize it, go ahead. Oh, wait, your technology's not up to scratch. So yeah, you, you can't know, you can't make it. I guess our portals are the only way we can get there. To- <laughs> oh, what? Only mutants can use our portals. Ah, oh, well, that's a tough uh, side effect, isn't it? No, I think that's cool. And now that I know that that's what's going on yeah. here cuz I I was kind of reading it and I was like I think that's Storm. Yeah. But I'm so not sure, and I'm very confident that Storm isn't Martian. <laughs> I mean, she is, she's the queen of Martian. Well, she's not the queen. She's on, like, the, there's no she's queens, on the council. There's yes. no queens there, yeah. Um, and that's why when she was summoned by a king, she had to come. She was pretty pissed off about it. Yeah. I did uh, worry there was going to be a bit of a... So there's a name. I, I got this term from the Weekly Planet podcast, for anyone who wants to listen to a podcast that might objectively be better than ours i don't know oh don't (laughs) honey you wound me but um they they the phrase they use in this side with like batman v superman is the they punch a bit and then they're mates and that is what happened here but i and i was worried it was just going to be just a miss you know was a miscommunication a bit of fight and then they resolve it like hang let me speak for a minute or that kind of thing this i felt like it was a bit more justified where storm was like you just kidnapped me yeah, like yeah. i'm pissed at you for doing that she was pissed and then she didn't really get she didn't really get on board until she actually saw the existential threat and she was like oh i get it yeah exactly I see why you needed me and it kind of makes sense because there's synergy between their powers yeah and thor exclusively was like explicitly was like not doing anything back yeah he was just taking it and he said you know the thunder the lightning doesn't want to hurt me and it doesn't want to hurt you mm. so don't make it choose let's just be yeah. chill and and it kind of you know it kind of made sense. He reasoned it out well and well enough with that. I liked her inclusion. Yeah. But again, it just it's this thing that happens in comic books now, where you know more often than not, the resolution to the thing is just forming an ensemble. It 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 always makes me think of that Rick and Morty episode with the heist. Yeah. Where it's son like, of a bitch, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, a good chunk of the the kind of last third, like the final act of this run, if you will was him making an ensemble cast to fight the bad guy. So the problem I kind of noticed is, and this is just looking at two of Al's texts, mm. I know, we're on first name basis now. Yeah, of course. Um, for two of Al Ewing's texts is, this is the second time that in the third issue of a run, 
he starts bringing in other Marvel characters. Yeah. And the the defense I will give of it is, and there's a common there was a common thing with the MCU where whenever there was a once they did Avengers. They had a couple of solo films after it. Avengers characters in solo films between that and the next Avengers film. There was a common thing of, a common, not necessarily complaint, but like a comment was, why don't they just call the rest of the Avengers? So I think when you do stuff like this, and it, it does seem to me that Al Ewing is very aware of this, when you are in this universe of other heroes and you are facing an issue, why don't you call other superheroes? So on the one hand, I feel like that's a... On the one hand, I feel like it's a necessary trope when you are using these kind of characters in this universe. Mm. On the other hand, it's the second time he's brought them in in the third issue. Like, mm. it's, yeah, it's weird keep, that he does it twice. It's a pa- yeah, yeah, no. If, if you had a pan for every time he did it. Yeah, you'd I'd only have, have two. You'd only have two pans, but it's weird it happened twice. And for anyone who doesn't know, who didn't listen to the episode, In a Mortal Hulk, the third issue of that, the Avengers kind of gather to uh deal with the hulk you could say they assemble they uh, in, uh, in ways they assemble yes <laughs> they assemble because the hulk is doing stuff and they need to sort it out um but again weird it happened in the third issue and and i really like seeing other ca- I, I do like seeing other characters but i like when it's really thoughtful it's like when um doctor strange turns up in a spider-man story i'm like oh, okay that's cool we like they, it a bit, they both strange. live in new york yeah they both live in new york they kind of know each other they're both really smart it makes sense that they'd kind of get on and their dynamics always fun it's the same as with, with um tom what's his name holland yeah tom holland spider-man and his relationship with tony stark yes like i thought that w- i thought that brought a lot of richness to both characters and you saw real growth in both characters because of it and it was really worthy but sometimes just forming an ensemble is just the way that they fix a problem now and i just think it's a bit lackluster but again if you existed in this universe you, you would you would yeah you totally would i did appreciate that at least in this there was a reason there was a plan yeah it wasn't just Oh, we Avengers heard you were having an issue, Thor. Do you want us to ha- to help? And he's like, Yeah, all right then. Like, not going to turn down. Well, the as you hear, yeah. If you, you can, le- I mean? if you can give us a give us a quick hand with this, yeah, it gives a leg up on it. I do appreciate that the plan was, and we're in spoilers. So we could explain. Oh, we're it firmly all. in spoilers yes. territory. So the point is, Thor in seeks out and invites uh, four people who can also wield Mjolnir and thus the powers of Thor, because Thor because he's got the Odin power, can do the thing with Mjolnir, where he says, he, he who is worthy, he, she who is worthy, then it's, these people are worthy. I've deemed them worthy. Probably why Loki could die. I yeah. think the main thing was he needed people with experience. Yeah. Because imagine if you'd never been Thor, and then you're like, <laughs> you were suddenly Thor. Quick, pass me the hammer, and you go, oh, I've never had this before. Like, I, he needed people who were just like, quickly could get on board. Yeah. And the plan is, they... But the four of them, because Thor's just got his Odin power anyway, they pass the hammer between them 60 seconds each being Thor. So when they get it, they've got 60 seconds, they pass it to another, and they're all using the Thor powers of lightning and thunder. And they're all kind of tag-teaming, essentially, this ancient god. Uh, I don't think the action sequence was really there, though. No, it It focused... very static. It focused more on the passing between. Yeah. I, I think that was a fault of... I guess the panel layout, like they didn't plan for like a big multi-person fight with yeah. a god, which I maybe is a difficult thing to ask. It's like, a difficult thing to ask, but it's obviously what this needs. Yes, if, you, <laughs> if you're going to set up this premise, then you kind of need to deliver on. There's an obvious need looks, for it, yeah. isn't there? But then, so the plan is that's the plan to cover the real plan. Yeah, and the real plan being at one point Loki's like, "I'm gonna bloody launch this straight into his face," and so I was like, "No, Loki, don't, don't do that, no." And then he does it, and the god catches the hammer, and he's like, "Ah, what are you gonna do now, you bloody gnats?" He calls them gnats, and Thor goes, "Well, actually, now that you've got it, I deem you worthy." And then the big god becomes a big Thor with the big shoulder things and yeah. the cape and everything, which is a fun little moment bit weird weird juxtaposition with how dark the god yeah. was beforehand um and he goes oh you've just given me your new power with my old power and i'm even more powerful like, like well uh, no because actually you've realized that friendship is magic it's <laughs> a little bit of that <laughs> that's a essentially what happens he's like well now you have empathy it does at least call back to the power of thought yeah and the it, uh, i thought you'd appreciate the callback to why did those vikings call on thor when they were in the middle of a storm yes. and it was uh to stop the storm and the real power of thor is 
containing the power for the better of everyone else kind of thing not how it worked in the mythology no this is a very kind of bot like this is based on the thor being the god of storms and not the farming god Um, well so he's always been a storm god but obviously in an agricultural society um you pray to a storm god when there's no rain (laughs) and so typically you would make a big offering of alcohol to thor if there was no rain or there was rain that you wanted to keep coming right but if there was too much rain would you also go to thor very rarely too much rain <laughs> in an early agricultural I mean, they society weren't in, they weren't in england then <laughs> in an early agricultural society you don't get too much rain right you, you like rain do you know what i mean like mm. rain is good rain is universally considered a good thing yeah but when it's been raining for like a solid week and you're like come on let up we want to play football like <laughs> you know something like that whatever their version of that was in that time Axe fighting. Axe fighting, yeah. <laughs> Can't do, it's the, too much mud. It's too slippy. I don't actually know what early Scandinavian recreational sports would have looked like. I imagine it would have been a lot of archery. It was probably some kind of um, animal's intestines blown up to a ball. And then it was just football or basketball well, or that's, whatever. That's a singularly British thing. and um, That we do today. Yeah, but the version of football we played was closer to Aussie rules football or Gaelic football. Hmm. Um, modern football in the form it exists didn't really exist until the victorian era and in scotland that was the haggis that they did that with before they ate the haggis absolutely yes yeah i mean it's just been burns night that's very on topic and for any scottish people listening don't correct us (laughs) i discovered an amazing robert burns poem the other day okay it's really good would you like to read it out yes i would i'll put this as one of the topics is we read a robert burns poem you might have to cut it out okay um, because it is pretty raunchy. I mean, we are pretty raunchy as a podcast as well. So let, let's see how it bears out. Yeah, okay, one minute. I'm just finding it. Are you ready? I'm ready. So the poem is called Neheront. Yestreen I wed a lady fair, and you would believe me, on her cunt there grows hair. That's the thing that grieves me. It vexed me, sir, it plagued me, sir, it put me in a passion to think that I had wed a wife whose cunt was out of fashion. So it's kind of like a limerick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it kind of, it falls, it, it's, it's in our um, it's amateur. It's but not... I just love the fact that of all the things Robert Burns decided to write a poem about, it was his love of a hairy vagina. It's not quite the man from Nantucket. <laughs> but it's, it's still good. It was still good. There you go. It's not, it's not quite a wedding vow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's about a wedding vow. It, yeah. You know. I mean, it sounds as though it led to an annulment from what I can from what I can glean from it. I tell you what, the first one that gets married has to read that as like the groom speech at the wedding. God, I don't know who, I don't know which <laughs> of us is more likely to do that. I mean, we're, we're both going to put off now, now that we've yeah, established that. We're never getting married, Ryan. Sorry, I lost a bet and now I have to say this. <laughs> Jamie needs me to. Well, this is the thing. Yeah. Is it, is it the, the first one who gets married has to have the other one read it out there? Yeah, sure. That'll do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a warning. Like get the, get the kids out or <laughs> yeah. put earmuffs on them or something. Yeah. Put earmuffs on grandma. Yes. <laughs> You'll be like, I remember that. And you're like, no, no. <laughs> so if, if, if ever there was a more pertinent back to the comic, it's right now. Yes. Uh, some, smaller points that i think were just fun that we can go back be- be- back and forth a bit of a lightning round if you will okay let's do that maybe, hey, maybe that a lightning a lightning, round. i didn't even mean for a that lightning round for this God one of thunder. only ever when we talk about thor yeah lightning rounds or maybe it'll be a thing in the future who knows well if we if we do an x-men comic and storms in it we can oh, do a lightning round. yes we definitely will need to do some x-men at some point uh, they'll be coming to the mcu at some point soon and the next time we do a star wars comic if palpatine's in it we can yeah. have a lightning round then infinite power infinite power <laughs> so um quick points uh i liked the tyrannus villain i just thought the design was, was like cool. cool in a way i liked he had his wheel yeah and he like he loved playing with his wheel um he looked at one point there's like a bunch of old gods and they're all fighting and it's just him smashing people with his wheel it's yeah. like he bloody loves his wheel um <laughs> wheel of fate i think yeah. it was i think was the point of it um i liked thor's introduction for this one yep. was uh commanding the storm yeah in, in a stern i'm not angry i'm just disappointed way yeah. i thought that was fun uh, especially when the ice giants are like oh bloody hell it's sunny now and we're ice giants like we literally <laughs> run away doesn't go very well for us yeah but i do like how sternly he talked to the storm like a, yeah. like a disappointed dad um loki non-binary in this yes and i genuinely think that's the main reason not only is it like just good representation but of all characters to do this for 
Loki is the character who has been male, female, male, female, a child, female again. There is like, a huge precedent for it in the exactly. original texts. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the cool aspects they've carried over. Yeah, and I suppose it's one of the things that they probably couldn't have done in the 60s. Um, but now they can. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like, it's one of the things that a modern reader would not find jarring. They'd go, mm. oh, that's pretty cool. That's, that's very representative of the society we live in. Yeah. What I find interesting is, I don't know if this was ever done explicitly in the comics or not, like whether there was like a, an official coming out or turning point or any, in, anything like that. But in my head canon, it either went Loki came out as non-binary or the more fun version, to me, I think is that Loki kept switching between male and female so often that everyone else just went, we're just calling you they now. Like yeah. we've, the, you, you changed so much. Like we, we are just going to use they for our own convenience now. Like, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Neither of those things are bad. Exactly. <laughs> because unfortunately, some people don't realize they is the uh, non-specified way to talk about a person whose gender you don't know. Yeah, totally. And yeah. It's, we should all be using it more. Whereas, we should all be using the they them pronouns as often as we want. Whereas that guy who got pissed off about Starfield went fucking pronouns and oh, I think I I read a thing on Reddit, which is where I read all the things I read that sure. are in books, and it was an American mum who had called in the school, getting really angry that they were teaching their child about pronouns, and they were just it was English class, like they were teaching them how pronouns worked. Yeah, and it was like you can't teach my kids about pronouns, and you're like, do you realise that pronouns? have become a buzzword for something that you don't like that we should all be really cool with. But they're a feature of our language that has existed for as long as our language has existed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it could be summed up. I think you enjoyed this reference. It was it was some someone on the American evan, evangelical right or whatever who basically said, as a tweet or something, said, there are no pronouns in the Bible. <laughs> and that- everyone's like... Yes, there are. <laughs> oh, you, oh, honey, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> oh, sweetie, <laughs> you don't know what a pronoun is. <laughs> uh, you just outed yourself. Uh, but this is the thing. Pronouns have become a buzzword now, and they are just a simple feature of our language. Yes. Like, but, yeah, it's in, ridiculous. In the same way that a lot of people complain about woke without being able to actually define it. Right, totally. And if you ask them to define it, they really um, struggle to get across the point without sounding like, I'm a massive asshole to people. Like. I don't know if my life has just changed and I'm socialising less at the moment and so I'm encountering activists less often. But I feel like the conversation about trans people and trans rights has quietened down a little bit in recent months. We are in England. It's very different in America. So that's like a very important point. I would hope that it's changing. Like the conversation has gotten a bit quieter in England because it doesn't need to be as loud anymore and things have just gotten better. And it's not a case of like things are still awful. We've just all forgotten to talk about it yeah well the thing is even our tories which are right political party don't talk about it if at all like i very rarely hear them you only get the odd backbencher making noise about it at this point whereas in america it's like front and center main political we still don't have a lot of like i mean because bathrooms have always been the big thing i don't again i don't really understand that either you know i don't i don't i don't really understand people's fixation on which bathroom somebody else uses um but i've you know i I don't see a lot of gender neutral bathrooms outside of like really queer spaces in the uk and i think that's something that could do with changing there's quite a lot of them in london but obviously yeah is you know it's a different beast really isn't it yeah i suppose i mean i mean it's nice that you know that because once something changes in the capital, it changes in the rest of the country. Yeah. Realistically, like London sets the trend for the rest of the country, doesn't it? I mean, it? let's hope that's not the case for bloody property prices. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Anyway, back to the comic. And <laughs> I think we've covered pretty much anything, unless there's any uh, other little points or what have you you want to no, make. No, where would you put this? I would put this... It's a difficult one. It's, it's, it's a high, mid, low base. And it's really hard to determine which it is. For me, I think I would have to go low-based, because I did genuinely enjoy it, but I know I enjoyed it for a lot of the other references, or references to other things. I'm going to say it was pretty mid, unfortunately. Yeah, that's fair. It's in Midgard. (laughs) Yes, ironically enough, yes. Ironically, this Thor comic languishes in Midgard. Yeah. Um, it's pretty mid. But that's fair. And I think we're fair enough to to differ on this, because we got different things out of it. And again, I had more references. I didn't. I didn't dislike it at all. Mm. I also um, liked how disgusting the Minotaur character was. Mm. In the Hulk one, he was just like a proper Minotaur. In this, he's like a rotting skull of a Minotaur, basically. They maybe, did a good character design. Maybe he's got more disgusting as uh, as he's got more capitalistic. 
I mean, the character designs throughout were pretty solid. Mm. Really good character design throughout the whole comic, wasn't there? I think it looked better than it read. Yeah, totally, totally. Like, mm. you know, the in, any individual panel taken in isolation looked pretty fucking good. Yes, which unfortunately is a shame for me because I, I was looking forward to the writing of it. But, you know, we'll see see I what mean, Al Dewing does next. Uh, again, you know, much as last week where we talked about the first like nine issues of that manga and it hadn't really gotten warm yet, it might have just not warmed up yet. Well, but the problem is, so these first five issues were quite clearly a first volume. Yeah. I did like, so we did read a bit of issue six, or we read issue six, and that felt like the beginning of the next volume. Yeah, totally. The thing with that is I did like how that was going into old Thor comics. Mm, I hope that keeps happening. Yeah, and there's starting to become a, a plot point about copyright of the Thor story yeah. or something with, what was his name? Um, I can't remember the character's name. He was played by someone in the Marvel films. Hang on. So they introduced Scourge the Executioner. Yeah. Who, and him meeting with the Minotaur character, and you think, what's going on here? Like, is this going to just be some evil scheme? And it essentially is, but it comes into, again, the, like, copyright ownership mm. of the Thor mythos on Earth, basically. Yeah. So immediately that, like, that's interesting, because I'm like, that's so different from anything Thor-related normally. So I'm looking forward to see where that goes. And it's so interesting, because it's, it's almost Disney referencing themselves. Mm. Because... Now that Disney have a Thor property, I imagine they would be really keen to stop anybody else doing a modernized version of any kind of Thor story. And it's like, it's that classic Disney thing of taking ownership over stuff that long should have been in the public mm. sphere. But this is like them saying themselves as the bad guys. Yeah, totally. Like but, this is this is so very self-referential from Marvel and Disney. Yeah. What I think is it's generally a case of like Disney not knowing what's happening and probably not really caring as well. They'll be like, oh my God, the comic book readers think Disney's evil now. Like I don't think they are worried about that in the slightest. Probably because they are they are aware how evil people think they are already. And I'm so excited for all that Mickey Mouse porn. Yes. <laughs> I'm Steamboat so Willie specifically. Yeah. And he's yeah. already got the name. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited for uh, Mickey Mouse to be in the public domain. That's so good. Yeah. Specifically Steamboat Willie version, which is it, it's a distinction that needs to be made, unfortunately, because yeah, there's already a Steamboat Willie horror film, I think, coming out or something, which is probably going to be god awful. Yeah, but I'm going to watch it anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to keep reading this. I will report back and I'll let you know if yeah, it gets better Yeah, I'd be or really intrigued to see how this one warms up. If, if another Thor thing happens, then we can maybe come back to this and see how it's gone and stuff. I mean, this is one that I'd be happy to do a second volume of in six mm. months' time. Yeah, yeah. You know? We'll put it in the calendar. We'll whack it and in the calendar. Speaking of uh, the calendar or the schedule, next week will be our Spider-Man episode. Oh, is that what we're doing next week? Yep. And I gave you the choice, but I think you made a short about one of the comics. I did, but it had to come down. Oh, did it? Yeah, TikTok Universal just pulled any music they own from TikTok, and I was using a Universal uh, sound. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like the stuff that I was specifically doing on our TikTok was often just me using popular music, and that that gravy that gravy train has now ended. Yeah. So because you did a show about it, I thought, well, that's made the decision. So we are going to be covering what I think is going to be probably one of the worst comics that we've read. Um, what are the odds there was another Spider-Man one? Oh, I know. I'm so excited for it, Ryan. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a crazy one. And if you've seen some of the shorts and some of the stuff we've talked about in previous, it's probably one of the most egregious Spider-Man plot points it's ever. Radioactive cum, isn't it? Yeah, that is the one of the biggest plot points <laughs> of it, yes. And we're going to see what the rest of the comic is like as well. See what happens. Exactly. So we're doing Spider-Man Reign. If you want to read it before the, uh, before the episode, by all means. If you just want to hear us complain about it for an hour, do that, do that as, well. as well. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. It really does make my day. Um, you've been commenting, which we love. Please keep doing it. Comment anywhere you like. Leave us a five-star review as long as it's really offensive to us personally <laughs> and nobody else. We are here for it. I would say this recording has elevated your mood, if anything. Oh, I'm definitely in a better mood. 100% I'm in a better mood than when I started, but I always am. I like I like doing the podcast. And thank God, because we're just going to keep chugging away no matter what happens. Yeah, we... I mean, we are fucking invested in this project yeah. now. End of the world, we'll still be here speaking into tins on a string to each other, <laughs> talking about a Archie comic we found <laughs> in the bin or the Beano or something. Talking about the back of a cereal box. Yes. Thank you so much for listening and good night. Thank you. Goodbye.